Hello, and welcome to the podcast called Looking Back, Looking Forward, The Achievement Award. I'm your host, Helen Forster. I'm revisiting great, inspiring E-Town Achievement Award stories from the past. And then when I can, I'm checking in with our various winners now to see how they're doing. Our listener nominator for this story was Sally Campbell of Austin, Texas. She wrote us about a young man named Ethan Zahn. If his name is at all familiar to you, it may be because several years back, Ethan was the winner of the TV reality show Survivor Africa. And the prize for the, winning that competition was a million dollars. But obviously, that's not why he was our winner. Most of us, if we won that kind of money, would probably retire, go on a shopping spree, and live as, well, a millionaire. But Ethan was driven to use a good portion of his winnings to do something that would help others. He found a way to combine his love of soccer, he's a former professional soccer player, with a passion for preventing the spread of AIDS. The host of E-Town, Nick Forster, interviewed Ethan about how he did that in an E-Town episode that aired back in 2006. Here's Nick Forster talking with Achievement Award winner Ethan Zahn. How are you, Ethan? I'm good. How are you I, doing? I have a confession to make. Yeah. I've never seen an episode of Survivor, so I don't know much about it. <laughs> Can you tell me what, what's, uh, what's the, the thing you did? What's the thing I did? Survivor. Uh, Survivor? Well, you know, I was in between life choices, and uh, some people call it unemployed. And uh, I was coaching soccer, playing soccer, and I just decided to send in an application on a whim. Because you never think it's going to be you. You know, 60,000 right. people apply to Survivor. There's like a four-month interview process, you know, and then finally they pick their 16 people that they send away and strand you on a, a, a location. Don't feed you. Don't give you water. Don't let you shower. Nothing. And I, then at the end of that, they gave you a million dollars. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's remarkable. <laughs> Just and, like that. <laughs> so you were still unemployed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was a little easier now. Yeah, and much more exciting to wake up in the morning. Yeah. But you didn't stop there. You decided you wanted to do something. And uh, tell us about that transition. Well, I mean, prior to Survivor, I actually uh, lived and played soccer in Zimbabwe. And uh, some, one of my most memorable experiences in Zimbabwe is of all the graveyards there. And so we travel along these dusty roads to get to our away matches, and you see these graveyards with these headstones, and some are perfectly organized one after another. And other areas, these crosses just thrown in there, piled high, like overflowing on the streets. And I asked my teammates, why are some people buried like this and others like that? I said, well, that's where they bury all the people that die of AIDS. It's like, oh, my God. See, a physical representation of everyone's died of AIDS was, was shocking to me. Uh, but at that point, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what can one white guy do to have this massive problem in all of Africa, so I shelved it. But uh, fast forward to Survivor, and Survivor took place in uh, Kenya. Mm -hmm. And I won a reward challenge, which you don't know about. But you, I won these two goats, which wasn't too happy about. But I, but I ended up um, going to this little village of Wamba and playing hacky sack with all these kids, and they were all HIV positive as well. So oh, everything wow. was pointing me to HIV AIDS and Africa and soccer, so I decided to do something about it. So tell us how the program got started. I got together with a bunch of my friends, soccer buddies that I played with in Zimbabwe, that I've met through college, played professionally here in the States, and we all came together, a bunch of smart guys, all soccer guys, and we created the grassroots soccer. And the basic concept is we train professional soccer players in Africa about HIV and AIDS, then send them into the classroom to teach the youth about AIDS prevention. Mm -hmm. and, so uh, you're using role models. Yeah. 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 
I mean, if you imagine, you know, taking Michael Jordan, the popularity of Michael Jordan, sticking him into Harlem, teach kids about drugs, it's that same concept. I mean, soccer is the most popular sport in the world. And these professional players, they're the heroes, they're the role models, they're the gods of the community. So you put them in a classroom, the kids are... They learn. How old are these kids? Typically? We target kids that are from 11 to 14. Because yeah. if they're around 11 years old, they're most likely HIV negative and they're just starting to think about sex. And so it's a perfect time to get in there and start changing their behaviors and helping them make the choices to lead a healthy lifestyle. And did you fund this with some of the money I mean, that you won from the TV show? I did, yeah. So you uh, started, you jump-started it with that. Right? Jump-started the program. But I mean, that was way back in 2002. And since then, we've grown, we've expanded. You know, we're in Zimbabwe and Botswana and Zambia and soon South Africa. But in addition to that, you know, we're working with other organizations, Sports for Life in Ethiopia, where we trained 350 gym teachers. But, you know, we're going to these communities and we're having kids go through our program. And once they're done with the program, they want to then in turn become grassroots soccer teachers oh, themselves. So cool. yeah. and Any idea how many kids you've reached so far? In our core programs, we've reached probably about 15,000, but that's not including, you know, all, we're in Uganda and Kenya and through other organizations. Um, we estimate over, you know, probably by the end of uh, 2007, we'll graduate over a million kids from the program. Wow. And... Anything going on here? Anything going on in the States, or is it all just in Africa? Actually, no. We, we launched a program called Kick Aids, which is our American-based uh, fundraising and awareness program. And it's really exciting because we go to high schools around the country, and we teach them about AIDS in America, AIDS in Africa, the importance of community service, and, and basically the concept of kids helping kids. Because right. here, kids in America, you know, sometimes they just don't know. You know, the numbers are staggering. It's unbelievable. And so these kids now in America have the opportunity to save lives right. in Africa. Um, and we have them participate in juggle-a-thons, you know, or lay-up-a-thons or swim-a-thons. And so, you know, we get pledges to participate in that. But we're giving them the power to go out there and make a difference. And for that, it's, it's pretty uh, inspiring for these kids to actually feel like they can do something. Yeah. Well, Ethan, it's an amazing success story, and it's an amazing thing that it grew out of this other success um, <laughs> that you actually were able to turn this into something that's really long-lasting and far-reaching and enormously important. It's going to go on for a long time, it sounds like. Is there a way that we can get more information about the organization? Is there a website or something we can do yeah. go to find um, out more? Grassrootsoccer.org. Um, Grassrootsoccer.org, one word. Well, congratulations. The winner of this week's Achievement Award, Ethan Zahn, we got a framed Achievement Award certificate Thank for you. you. Thank you very for much. For all you do. Thank you, Ethan. Congratulations. Amazing story. Ethan Zahn, E-Town Achievement Award winner from 2006. I'm Helen Forster, host of the E-Town podcast, Looking Back, Looking Forward, the Achievement Award. Now, recently, I was able to catch up with Ethan Zahn to touch base and see how things have evolved since he last spoke with us. Let's listen. Ethan Zahn, thanks for being with me. It's so nice to talk to you after all these years. I mean, a lot of years, <laughs> and it's so wonderful to be back here. So thanks for having me. Thanks for remembering me, first oh. of all. You're one of my very favorite award winners, and uh, and it's funny, you're one of those people I find that, even though we haven't spoken uh, in quite a while, I feel like we just talked yesterday, so 
I think it. we did just talk yesterday, but before <laughs> that, yes, I agree. No, it's been forever, but yeah, you know, when you have a good connection and good conversations like we did way back in the day, you know, we can just fall right back into it. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me, actually. Um, at the time, I remember, um, I think you had said, yeah, and by 2007, we hope to maybe reach one million uh, people. And um, I, uh, I looked up your website, and I realized that uh, you've done a lot more than that in this amount yeah, of time. We have. Now, um, uh, as it's, you know, we talked about in, in your first interview, which we just heard, um, you had one survivor, Africa. You had this big chunk of change, and, um, and you spoke of the motivations of why you did what you did. Um, but then... Uh, uh, you were, I think, still in your 20s then, was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably early, yeah, 20s. Yeah. Actually, just uh, just had turned 30, actually. Wow. And yeah. then um, things were clipping along. I mean, you'd had all this success. You were a professional soccer player. Then you had that success, and you'd done all these things. And then um, something unexpected happened. Yes, very unexpected. It was, uh, you got hit with cancer. I did. I was, uh, yeah, 35 years old at the time, uh, and I was diagnosed with a rare form of blood cancer called mm. CD20 positive Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. Trust me, I had never heard of it either at the time. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, quite a shock, if yeah. you can imagine. It Was it a long recovery? Yeah, I, I had a pretty bad go at it. Um, you know, it was a rare form of blood cancer, a rare form of lymphoma. And so, you know, I had to go through multiple rounds of chemotherapy, 22 blasts of radiation, and then I had an autologous stem cell transplant, uh -huh. which is great um, because it got the disease into remission for a while. Mm -hmm. um, the cancer returned just 20 months later. Uh. And as you can imagine, like, you know, getting the news that the cancer returned was deflating, you know, uh, exponentially more difficult than the first time around. Only and imagine. So, yeah. I had to go through it all over again. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, you know, chemo. Um, and then I went back and I had a second stem cell transplant, this time using my brother Lee as the donor. Oh. So um, I've actually officially changed my name. So I should have told you that up front. Like, my name is now Lethan. And uh, <laughs> I'm no longer my mom's favorite son, which is like the worst part about this whole cancer thing. <laughs> wow, what a story. And um, I have to imagine that that was just life changing for you. It was life changing. You know, when I was 14 years old, cancer came into my home and it took my father away from me. Uh -huh. And so my only connection to cancer was through my dad. So to me, cancer equaled death. And so when I was first diagnosed, it was just a complete shock. And so for me, you know, having that experience was, was quite frightening. And, um, you know, that's why it was just so important for me to like battle through it, you know, do my darndest to uh, survive, um, which I was able to do. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it opened up my eyes to you know, a whole new world and, you know, gave me a bit better appreciation of, you know, what's important and what's not. But what's really interesting was all of a sudden, you know, like we talked about grassroots soccer, you know, I'd been doing this for my whole life. You know, I, I'm very comfortable on the giving side of charity, on the giving side of philanthropy. And then once I was diagnosed, all of a sudden things changed and I was on the receiving side right. of charity and philanthropy. So in some weird way, I think it's made me a better humanitarian, a better philanthropist, because like I know what it's like to walk into a doctor's office, sit down and get a life-threatening diagnosis that has, you know, 50% chance of a cure. 
So for me, now I can see both sides of this world that I now live in, and I think I can serve it a little bit better. I I can see what you're saying because um, you're an empathetic, intelligent person to begin with, but if you have... Uh, that experience, it it changes how you approach people. And I, I do want to get back to talking about grassroots soccer, but I, I noticed that um, uh, since you've had your cancer, you've um, done and continue to do a lot of motivational speaking. And in particular, you're um, uh, a, a source of inspiration and hope to a lot of young people with cancer. Definitely. Yeah, I feel that, you know, for me, when I was diagnosed, you know, uh, it was a really weird situation. You know, if we're talking about, you know, being a person of note, I've been on television, like I've never been more famous with the quote marks than I was when I got cancer. Crazy little uh, thing that happened to me. But I don't know, it just skyrocketed. People want to know about me, what I was doing. They want to catch me with the picture with my bald head. You know, here I was, this epitome of health, this soccer player, this pro player, and then boom, I get diagnosed with cancer. And it was just this weird scenario living in New York City, figuring this all out. So I felt I needed to take control of my own story. So I decided to take my battle public. And I really felt that like the details of my life had the opportunity to help other people out there. And so for me, focusing on the plight of other people or trying to help other people get diagnosed earlier, inform them about cancer and blood cancers, you know, is a a cathartic distraction from the reality of my own situation, but also, you know, I was helping people out there. And so for me, like it just, I kind of live by the saying these days, never let a crisis go to waste because (laughs) it's an opportunity to do some really important things. Yeah. And I feel that that was like one of my first tests in doing that. So putting that into action really just opened doors for me and, um, in the cancer community. And, uh, it's been just really rewarding. You know, it's, uh, Sometimes people ask me, like, how did it change you? And it didn't necessarily change me, but knowing that I had some little piece of uh, helping someone, other people out there kind of get diagnosed earlier or help manage their cancer care is just super rewarding. Yeah, and also just um, being real and being able to hear somebody else talk about it. Uh, I think some of us are uncomfortable talking about disease of any kind, and it's so refreshing that you were able to uh, do that and continue to do that. And uh, I think it just gives people the idea that, wow, you know, he he got through it. Uh, I can get through it too. And that's a huge gift. Potentially, yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, I know when I was going through it, you know, talking to other people that had been through it and survived was awesome, you know, because you know, cancer is a really lonely thing and you're surrounded by people you love that love you, but I've never felt so alone in my entire life. So understanding that I could reach out to someone or see someone else that's been going through the similar things definitely provided comfort and a little bit more confidence that I'm going to get through this. So if I could return that favor to other people, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Now, um, have you been free of cancer for a while? Yeah. So my last treatment was in 2012. So I am now, uh, eight years in remission. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, and you've done so much. I mean, 
starting with grassroots soccer at such a young age, having gone through what you did to do Survivor. I mean, I remember, uh, well, we just heard Nick say he'd never seen Survivor. At the time, we didn't even have a TV. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we, we weren't tuned into reality shows at the time. And um, But that was uh, something uh, in and of itself uh, that was an ordeal. And then here you won and... Uh, and started grassroots soccer. And um, again, at the time, it was like, wow, well, we're in four or five countries now. And, you know, we're aiming for a million. But tell us um, how it's been going in this amount of time. Well, it's been going pretty darn good. Um, you know, we grassroots soccer, you know, I may have mentioned it, you know, at the time, I probably gave this interview back in the day, you know, it was all about HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the trajectory of the disease has changed a little bit. So at Grassroots Soccer, we've kind of adapted mm -hmm. our mission. We are now an adolescent health organization mm. that's using the power of soccer to educate, inspire, and mobilize communities and young people to overcome their greatest health challenges and live healthier, more productive lives. So for us, you know, there's so many drivers of disease, and HIV is just kind of one component of that. So now we focus on a lot of different aspects of adolescent health. But um, yeah, now we are in 60 countries oh and 13 million kids have been through the program. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you share with us just quickly, what are some of the health issues uh, and, and uh, subjects that you uh, work with adolescents about? So, you know, um, female reproductive health, uh, gender-based violence, you know, self-confidence. Uh, we work with, uh, and then we have a whole like um, leadership program entrepreneurship program. We have different curriculums that are addressing certain aspects of adolescent health. We have, you know, boys and girls. We have co-ed. We have HIV positive programs. We have younger kids programs. We started all girls soccer leagues, all, all girls soccer teams. Um, and so we're heavily focused on all everything that an adolescent faces in um, developing countries. You know, adolescent, adolescents specifically in Africa face the greatest burden disease of any kind of age bracket. Um, and so we're really focusing on adolescents. That's fantastic, because I know that's actually an um, age bracket that sometimes gets neglected. There's a yeah. lot of kids programs, small kids programs and, and a lot of adult programs. But that that uh, and I know that when you started, um, it was about HIV and, and AIDS and that particular uh, group that you targeted, the 11 to 14 year olds, I thought was so brilliant because that's, as you said in the interview, that's when they're just starting to notice other, the other sex and maybe thinking about sex. And anyways, you've accomplished so many great things and, um, we're really proud of you here and, and, um, thrilled that, uh, you could take the time to be with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Getting back to the uh, situation with cancer, I understand, and of course, here we are. I'm speaking to you from Colorado. Uh, we are an international um, uh, podcast, but um, I noticed with great interest, because I have chronic pain from a couple of really bad car accidents, and uh, here in Colorado and, and, and several states now, cannabis is legal, um, both recreationally and, and medically, and I understand that um, it made a big difference for you. It did. Yeah. You know, when I was going through cancer, it wasn't necessarily available to me. And I was being treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York City. And they didn't really have even like one oncologist on staff who was educated in medical cannabis. So 
that left me to, you know, find it on my own. So you can imagine I'm bald. I got gloves on, a mask. I'm hitting the streets. I'm meeting my quote unquote <laughs> drug dealer. He's selling all sorts of things, including cannabis. And so it was just a really scary, horrible feeling I for me imagine. at that time. Um, but so, so, but it definitely helped me. Like I was taking so many prescribed pills just to get to bed at night, five, six, seven pills. And I was just not a good, good person. And then I started introduced to uh, medical cannabis. And like, I was a professional athlete. I never touched the stuff. It just wasn't part of my life. But when I was sick, I got into it. And so it helped me a lot. And so after cancer, which is a whole nother story, you know, people talk about going through cancer and it's this really hard thing. But for me, you know, when a doctor tells you to do something, you die. You pretty much do it, right? Getting through cancer isn't that hard. For me, it was the after cancer. It's picking up the pieces. It's the dump trucks full of uncertainty, the invisible scars that need healing. It's That was, for me, the most difficult part. And it, it still is. I was living in fear of relapse and the anxiety of my cancer coming back. And so I got into CBD, not necessarily the THC side of things, but the whole CBD side of things. Yeah, that's, that's and that really helped. What me I'm familiar with too, it does help a lot, and it's helped a lot of people. It's refreshing and and hopeful um, that uh, more and more states are being open to that, and that is something too that you're an advocate for as well. Which is you know again you're using your um, notoriety and your status. Um, yeah. to uh, um, do good. And I think that's great. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that was just a huge part of my healing. And so, I mean, I basically ended up investing in a 116-acre hemp farm in Plainfield, Vermont called Montcush. Wow. And, uh, you know, I moved up there these past two summers. I planted, I harvested, I process it, I bottle it. So it's uh, something, if I was going to put something in my body, I wanted to know where the heck that thing, that stuff come from. So it was really important to me to be part of the whole process from like seed all the way to sale. So that's just been a huge passion of mine. And uh, it's been very helpful for me. And so I'm obviously an advocate for CBD uh, right now. It really helps me with my anxiety and pain and stuff like that. Yeah. And sleep too. And that's what I found. Oh yeah, totally. Well, uh, it's just a thrill to see you. Um, our, my listeners can't see you, but we're doing this by Zoom. So I get to see your handsome face and and that wonderful smile. And, um, and, and the gray hair. Don't forget the gray the hair. The gray hair. You look very <laughs> distinguished. Um, and we're cat lovers. Yes, we You're, are. You and your yes. wife and my husband and I are um, avid cat lovers. And yeah. uh, I've seen I mean, pictures. I have a picture behind me, as you can see. Yeah. I've seen uh, pictures of Griffin and Lucy and uh, um, my, uh, my kitty, Emma. I've shown you pictures of yeah. her. So, anyways, kindred spirits we are. So, yes. thank you so much for being with us. And um, I wish you the best always. Thank you so much. Have me back anytime in another 15 years. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about or connect with Ethan Zahn, there are actually three websites you can check out. First is his own, EthanZahn.com. That's capital E-T-H-A-N, capital Z-O-H-N.com. Also, for grassroots soccer you can go to grassrootsoccer.org. And finally, for his work with raising product and creating CBD to help people in pain and in need, you can go to montcush.com.
Now, if those went by too fast for you, go to etown.org, our website, and you'll find that information there. I'm so happy to be able to share this interview with you. And if you're curious about eTown, the broadcast podcast, hour-long weekly show, you can visit eTown's website and learn more. I'm Helen Forrester, host of Looking Back, Looking Forward, The Achievement Award. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. <laughs>